Welcome to Crone Life Joy Reboot Podcast, revolutionising how cisgender, trans women and AFAB non-binary individuals over 40 experience midlife, menopause and ageing. I'm your host, Pia Antico, a Crone Life Joy Reboot Mentor, founder of Essential Awakening Mentoring, a number one international best-selling author and public speaker, who at 50 is a late-in-life queer, neurospicy, three deaths before 30, two abusive marriages and major head injury life rebuilder. Welcome, my Crone listeners. Today I have with me Coach Lily Weiss. She got her sparkle back at 57 after her own struggle with alcohol ended with the epiphany that life is more fun and adventurous when alcohol-free and getting there doesn't have to be miserable. She is a certified alcohol freedom coach and sober chick life podcast co-host. Lily says that so many of her, of our sisters, of our women and AFAB individuals out there are struggling with the belief that they can't cope without the help of alcohol. They're often stuck in a cycle of swearing they won't drink again, drinking again, waking up at 3am full of shame, rinse and repeat. So they are worried about the health risks as they should be that they can't stop and that life without alcohol won't be fun. She's here to share that they are not broken, powerless or alone and their life could be full of hope and joy and that quitting doesn't have to be miserable. Welcome, Lily. And this is really timely because it's just reading a study recently saying that um, a lot of us are coping with uh, perimenopause and menopause, um, with uh, it, drinking, with uh, a good, you know the 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 proverbial glass of wine and or something else um, as a way of coping, and that's clearly not very helpful. Absolutely, you are so right. I remember. I I'm going to say I remember perimenopause, but I really don't because mm. I didn't really understand when it started. Yeah. Yeah. So because not that many women, not that many, anybody was really talking about what was going on. I thought you just went into menopause and all those symptoms, the hot flashes, blah, 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 were all about menopause when in fact it was the 10 years before that a girl really suffers. Or at least I had a tough 10 years before. Yes. And it's just such a cultural belief western culture is really the only one i can speak for uh that the solution to any kind of stress is to have a drink yeah i mean if you think about there's it starts off now with mommy juice bless those poor mothers yeah you need your mommy's juice to get through and we now have wine at kids birthday parties and everything 
Absolutely yeah. everything. And when, you know, you break up with a partner, somebody brings wine. And when you, someone dies, you bring wine. And when you get a new partner, someone brings wine. So yes, perimenopause being stressful for many people, bring on the wine. And that is yeah. supposed to stop the stress. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're, we're the same here in, in Australia. Uh, I think the, coming from that, the, the, the British um, background, uh british irish background unfortunately the um the alcohol consumption is huge here uh and done differently maybe to the europeans where it, it's at least maybe on the table with lunch whereas here it's just a standalone uh experience and and it's often to absolute excess I, I'm actually really excited by this discussion because I will say that I was, um, uh, for 10 years, I was a practicing Muslim. I was converted from a Christian first, Buddhist for 18 years, went into Sufi Islam, practiced for another 10 years, and I stopped drinking. I was, I mean, not that I was a huge drinker beforehand, but I purposely, consciously removed it from my uh, from anything I was doing and showing up with family events, as you say, uh, alcohol seemed to have marked everything we did, uh, family, friends and society in general. And it was really interesting uh, to show up not drinking and saying no. And it's amazing how many people, when you said no, um, kind of looked at you as if you were an alien or something. It was so that I would have looked at you like an alien, but I would have been suspicious that you were no fun. Yeah, that's what I would have thought. And I know with a lot of my clients, it's that another piece of it is people who know on some level that they're drinking too much. When they see someone not drinking, it concerns them. Yeah, because that really shines a light back on their behavior. Yes, my full-on belief was that alcohol was making my life more fun. Straight yeah. up. I would have died on that hill. And the truth is, that isn't true. And here's a little, I'll get uh, just a little science-y for you. Not over the top, but we'll just get a little <laughs> science-y for you. So here's what happens when you have a drink. Yeah. Enters your body. And it is a crazy substance that is both water and fat soluble. That essentially means it gets everywhere. It's like sand at the beach. <laughs> you go to the beach, you are emptying out sand from the most crazy places. You'll find it in your pillowcase the next time you do the laundry, right? It goes off your hair into the pillowcase. Yeah, so that's alcohol in your body. It gets everywhere. It goes through the blood brain barrier. It goes through your gut. It Everything gets affected by it. And you get this 20-minute party where you get a giant hit of a neurotransmitter, which is a big word for just saying you get this giant hit of woohoo. It's dopamine. And it's dopamine is the neurotransmitter of fun and learning. And this is the important one more. From an evolutionary perspective, 
dopamine is our survival because when something good happened, like we avoided the saber-toothed tiger or we found a berry that's delicious, we'd get our hit of dopamine and our, you know, our animal brain without anything happening in cognitive function, our animal brain would know this is good, felt good, more of this. So that sounds great, right? There's your 20 minutes of high. You started out, you didn't feel maybe so great because you're in perimenopause or whatever. And, you know, you had a tough day at work. You get your 20 minutes. But here's the thing. Your brain then panics and says, Pia, that's too much. That's just too much. And it doesn't like being out of balance. So it's going to give you a smackdown, a two to three hour smackdown of hormones and neurotransmitters that do not feel good. This is your cortisol, your adrenaline, your dynorphin. So you have just borrowed joy from a loan shark. You got your 20 minutes and now you're going to pay your three hours, right? It just is, you're going to pay. So this, yeah. So yeah happens then is your body and is saying subconsciously you're not thinking this out loud although now that you've heard this you might your brain's gonna say you know it it had its 20 minutes high and now it's coming down 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 for the three hours after a while it's saying you know this doesn't feel so great now you don't you have more stress or more whatever than when you took that drink And your brain says, oh, you know what sounds really good is that thing that gave me that 20-minute high. And this is the addictive cycle. And so you ordered the first drink, and the first drink orders all the rest. Wow. This is where the addictive part comes from. And this is why I can so confidently say the human body is designed to become addicted to things like alcohol. Anything that gives you a giant dopamine hit, reward center, nicotine, porn, video games, gambling, sugar, all of these things work the same. Yeah. And in fact, the craving is really just the withdrawal I talked about. The, uh, I don't feel good anymore. Give me, it gives you a craving. It gives you a, a, cortisol boost saying cortisol is uncomfortable and it makes you want to do something and that something would be make this discomfort stop yes so that's why it is so safe to say that our bodies are designed to become addicted to alcohol yeah and it is so safe to say that if you are addicted to alcohol like i was it's not your fault this is by design but it is your responsibility. Nobody else is going to do this for you. You're, no. you're, you can get help, but you have to want it. And one of the myths out there that is so painful and makes the alcohol industry so much money is that there are alcoholics, and I'm doing air quotes for anyone who's listening, alcoholics and then there's everyone else who's okay with whatever amount they're drinking 
Yep. Right? Yeah. And an alcoholic would be someone who is immoral, someone who is doesn't have any self-control. They love alcohol more than they love their families. Um, they're lazy, blah, 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 blah. Alcoholics are not good people. Yeah. I'm a person, ergo, I could not possibly be an alcoholic. Yes, exactly. I, I can drink and I can, can you know, the, the thing that's coming to mind as we're talking about the, the dopamine and the serotonin and, you know, that the happy chemicals that are in our body and how, how our body works is th that uh, one of the, the, the hallmarks of neurodivergency like ADHD uh, is that it is based on a lack of uh, a lack of dopamine, a lack of serotonin, a lack of the brain's ability to um, uh, make use of the serotonin and the dopamine that even exists hence why there is a connection between uh, such activities like drinking drugs substance use and and other high uh, hit dopamine uh, activities as you were talking about just to try and uh, sort that out there are a lot of women and afab individuals who are in midlife who haven't been diagnosed with adhd uh, and have uh, reaching for such activities in order to um, fix something that is not a personal failing, but a design of how their brain is uh, working and instead needs something more helpful. And the, the real bummer about this whole thing is that you're, you start building up a tolerance. Alcohol is so yeah. toxic in our bodies and I'm not judging anybody. I have, <laughs> if I was a glass house, it would have very thin walls and it would not be tempered glass. I mean, you could, you could just get ricochet something <laughs> off of me and I would have to shatter. I am not judging anybody for anything. And I'm not telling you what to do. I am here to give you the facts and let you mull it over and maybe look a little further to see what really works for you and what yeah. doesn't. But one of the bummers about this toxicity of alcohol, so it enters our system, it goes everywhere, right? It, yeah. it causes leaky gut. It's creating a very toxic substance in us. And once again, the body panics and says, stop everything yeah. and get this out. And in fact, the reason we feel that buzz, and it's only on the first drink. Here's a little mind experiment for people. You'll notice you only get the buzz on the very first drink. And I, a lot of people are out there saying that's bullshit, but I'm here to tell you, try it. See if it's true for you. So yeah, it is. It, the body now wants to get rid of the alcohol. So it is literally stopping everything, all your functions. So if you have a cold or if you're fighting a virus, it's no longer fighting that virus, it's getting the alcohol out. If you've, if you've been eating, it's not processing the food, it's getting the alcohol out. So wow. when they did, um, there's a study, it's actually on Australian footballers where they gave, they were amateur players and they gave them, um, they worked them out First, they did a muscle biopsy, worked the guys out. 
Then some of them got alcohol and some didn't, did muscle biopsies over the next 24 hours. The players who drank, their muscle recovery was 37% slower than the fellas who didn't drink at all. And that just speaks to what it's doing to your body. So now you it, it's in your system and your body is definitely not loving it, but it creates a tolerance because it gets smarter and smarter at fighting it. This is why you have to drink more and more, which is part of the addictive nature. Let's say you're somebody who's only drinking a glass of wine a night now at 40. Well, I can tell you probably where you're going to be at 50. If you're yeah. drinking that glass of wine to solve a problem, if you're using it to resolve stress or because you're socially awkward or whatever. So you you build up this tolerance and your body loses its ability to create the happy hormones on its own. And this is this is why it is so safe to say you you cannot selectively numb. So you are not only numbing your joy when you're drinking because you are. I did the math for you earlier. Long after the drink, if you're a regular drinker or maybe you just have seven drinks over the course of the weekend that would be considered a regular drinker or uh, in this scenario, you're included. I'm here to tell you that your body is no longer producing dopamine at the level it used to, which is why you need alcohol in every activity to have fun because yeah. life's simple pleasures are no longer fun. Just wow. Yeah. And you're right. And it doesn't feel good because when you feel hungover and rotten the following day, or even just a few hours later. This is it is fundamentally, yeah. It just it makes it just completely makes so much sense. And I love how we uh, how you are in discussion and 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 we're, and we're hearing that this is not about morals. This isn't about some people having personality failings or or anything like that. This is just how the body works on this particular substance mm -hmm. and how it works when it hasn't got it yeah and it's yeah it's not you it's the alcohol and yeah, what wow. the alcohol industry would like you to believe is that it's you you yeah because think about you all the places you see drink responsibly i don't know if you have this how buying we alcohol. do okay so in canada you go to the specific alcohol store and province-wide and there'll be a sign, drink responsibly. Yeah. And oh my God, nothing chaps my hide more than drink responsibly. How is that possible? It's an addictive substance. And once again, that's throwing all the shade on the person and not the substance. Yes. Because then you say, oh, well, okay, it's addictive as you hear you know, oh, well, there's drink responsibly, there's alcohol limits for driving, there's this, that, and the other, suggesting that some people are okay and others are not. And the ones that are not, 
it's a it's it's a them problem. Absolutely. And if you're a good person, you don't really have to worry about that. Yeah, because this only happens to bad people. Right. Yes. Alcohol, alcoholism. And I really chafe at that word alcoholic because that is such a shame. Anytime mm. we say I am something that's defining us. And that is, is true. a shame sandwich. It is horrible. Now, it is actually that word was taken out of the Bible of what psychiatrists use. It's now called alcohol use disorder. It's the DSM-5, and that's the big book of psychiatric yes. disorders. And alcoholic is not in there. Alcohol use disorder is, and it is a spectrum. And it is from them. Now, there's that top 10%, the real drinking champions who are physically addicted yes. that need medical intervention to stop safely. They could die if they stop without medical um Because help. by that stage with the body's uh, main systems, heart, lungs, organs, all of it, all of it uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the physical addiction. The rest of us, the other 90% are psychologically addicted in this dopamine cycle. Yeah. And that is to say that if you tried dry January and, you know, you may only be drinking a glass of wine a night and yeah. thinking you're good because glass of wine a night that's within in the u.s they're still saying that's safe there is no safe level of alcohol i could go into a lot of it that's very sciencey but when you look it up you don't have to take my word for it get out there and look um the huberman lab does a fantastic show on alcohol and health and Huberman is out of Stanford University. It's one of those hoity-toity bigwig schools in the state. Yes. And his it's an absolutely fascinating program on alcohol use and what it does to your body. And it's very clear the link between alcohol and breast cancer, for example. Mm -hmm. When my sister got breast cancer, her first visit to the oncologist, he was very clear, or she, I don't know who it was, he or she, they, mm -hmm were very clear, you can't drink anymore. This is this is not a and so there is breast cancer, esophageal cancer, um colon cancer, obviously liver cancer. It's the World Heart Organization says there is no safe level of alcohol for the heart. Yeah, so that whole red wine, the it's the component, it's the reservatrol or or thereabouts. Right. Uh, that that that's being linked to uh, good health and heart health and brain health. It's not the red wine itself. It's this one component. Take it out in pill form uh, as a supplement. That's great, but it's not the red wine. It's it's not. Yeah, it's not everything else in the red wine. So it's yeah. the grapes. Just eat the yeah. dang grapes. You don't <laughs> have to drink yeah. enough red yeah. wine to kill you to have it make enough of a difference. And this is just. <laughs> Yeah, you know, 
nobody likes to be the news organization. And this is changing and it's changing quickly. But for a long time, everyone wanted to hear that alcohol was healthy just because that's yeah. what we wanted to hear. So if you wanted your article to bubble through social media, you would say, look at this, red wine, health, perfect. Everyone wants to read that. The fact that those studies are flawed yes. was left out. And the fact that for every one article like that, you could probably find 50 or 100 articles that say, no, that isn't true. But you don't get social shares with that. Yeah. It's not fun to say, y'all are drinking, y'all going to get breast or colon cancer or heart disease. Who does yeah. that? Well, Alzheimer's. I know that. I know that there's. I suddenly can't think of his name. A quite a well-known doctor coming out of the U.S. who's in the eighty. He's in the ADHD. Uh, very vocal. Uh, you see him on TikTok and Instagram. He's quite great. Uh, very uh, behind a lot of the the current uh, research in ADHD, and he is hugely uh, saying any amount of alcohol is really bad for your brain it's plaques mm. on the brain it interferes with everything and as we know well it would interfere with um if one has adhd because it's uh if the key to adhd is an inability a lack, a lack of an inability to effectively make use of what exists as far as the serotonin and the dopamine uh in the brain well then alcohol interferes with that yes you know even more makes it even worse so so then understanding that alcohol is clearly not the savior that we've all made out to uh to be what worked what did what worked to stop for you to stop drinking uh what did you replace it with and uh what can others out there do well i tried what everybody tries the the behavioral or the the model for change what we what you and I grew up with and is that if you want to change your behavior, change your behavior. Like yes. I said, there's a deep Martin joke about, you know, how to make a million dollars and not pay taxes. First, get a million dollars. You know, there's like no clue on how to get that. Just how, So what the behavior model is, make the behavior change. Willpower. Yes. Say you're going to do it willpower is finite yes this I'd is even, why i'd even question if it exists at all <laughs> well depending on who willpower. you are it, mm. it, it is finite and yeah. so the cycle that i was in was wake up at three in the morning after having my I, it went from a glass of wine to two to ultimately a bottle of wine a night in my living room watching netflix and thinking if I quit, I wouldn't have fun. Yeah. And then thinking, but this isn't fun. I wasn't doing anything fun anymore. I was sitting there drinking. Yeah. It had taken over. I wasn't hurting anybody. I have a great relationship with my husband. I had a great job. I was exercising. I was eating healthfully. What's the problem, right? You'd think that everything is just normal. Well, that's but what, that normal society. We're told that that's, that's normal. But I knew it was too much. So I thought, 
no sweat. I'll just stop. So piece of cake, you know, what do you do when you, do, and I'm disciplined. I'm a disciplined eater. I'm a disciplined exerciser. I thought this will be a piece of cake. And I quit before. I'd gone years without drinking, no sweat. Yeah. So I go to quit and it wasn't that easy. It started becoming obsessive with me. Yeah. And I think about it all the time. When am I going to get that drink? When am I going to get that drink? So I could fight it off for maybe a week or two weeks or even up to six months. But eventually my willpower would fail and I would be drinking again. So I would drink. I would wake up at three in the morning with all those horrible anxiety ridden hormones that I've just dumped into my body. I was blissfully unaware. That's what I'd done. I thought I was drinking to relax. And I would just be in this shame cycle. What is wrong with me? Why, why am I, am I broken? What, what is yeah. wrong? I can't stop. And then it, I'd wake up in the morning again and I'd think, no worries, today I'll stop. And sure enough, five o'clock that night, I would have that glass of wine in my hand again. And I did this for five years. Yeah. I was brutal on my self-esteem. And with each big cycling of stopping and starting, I added a little more alcohol. So it went, that's how it went from the wow. one glass of wine a night to the full bottle of wine a night. And then I wanted more. And then I really was worried. Like I had a rule there would only be one bottle in the house at a time. Here's a clue. If you're wondering if you're on the spectrum of alcohol use disorder, <laughs> if you have a lot of rules around your drinking, you might be on this spectrum. Yeah. If you're having more than seven drinks a week, you very well may be on this spectrum. When you go to stop, if it's difficult to stop, if it takes a lot of willpower, yeah, then you're probably on the spectrum. And you may be very early in on the spectrum. No big deal. Much easier to stop then. So I did this merry-go-round. It wasn't a merry-go-round, man. It sucked. It was a like a demented hamster wheel or something. It was god-awful. And yeah. I finally found the knowledge of how alcohol works in the body, as I have just explained. And I found out how to get lasting change. And using this, I was able to stop my drinking and never look back. So it's not that I want to drink. I mm. just, I changed my desire. I had a set of beliefs around alcohol that were something like, I need it to have fun. I need it to fall asleep. And when I learned about the truth about alcohol and I learned those things were myths, fallacies, lies, depending upon how brutal you want to get with your language there, um, it was fairly easy for me to stop. And I'm saying fairly easy. It was an effort. But I wasn't using willpower. I was using curiosity. Instead wow, okay. of saying, what is wrong with you? I was saying, what's going on here? Why did, why do I want the drink after the dog walk? Oh, that's a cortisol response. Oh, that's a craving. Those last about 20 minutes. And if I just hold off for 20 minutes and don't fixate on it, 
it'll probably just go away. Yeah. And the, the real model for change instead of change the behavior and then shame yourself when you don't get the behavior change you wanted is knowledge first, learn about it. Mm. The next step is positive emotion. And BJ Fogg, Dr. BJ Fogg, also out of Stanford, they got a lot going on in their noggins there at Stanford, wrote a book called Tiny Habits. And in his lab, he studies what creates lasting change. And believe it or not, it's not shame. It's not yourself up. I know, spoiler alert, ladies, spoiler alert. It is positive emotion. So when I have a client who's trying to go alcohol free, they're on this journey. When they have a drink, it's not bad dog, you had a drink. It's not you have to go back to day one in the AA parlance. Let's say you drank seven days a week when I met you. And the first week we worked together, you were drank six days and you took one night off as an experiment. I would say to you, well, you're six days out or one day alcohol free and six lessons. Yeah. What did you learn? What are we going to do differently tomorrow? Some of it is just tactical. Don't go to the liquor store or the grocery store at five o'clock in the afternoon when you're tired and you're not making as good decisions. Do that in the morning. Some of it's the mind work of, well, why do you believe it would be a good idea? And is that really true? Yeah. And yeah. celebrate, celebrate either that you learned a lesson or celebrate that you were alcohol free. And then savor when you start feeling really good. Get, after a couple of weeks, you start getting your energy back. There's an uncomfortable period of time where, as I said earlier in the episode, your body has stopped making the feel-good hormones. Yes. Once you take alcohol out of the system, your body figures it out pretty quickly. After a week or two weeks or three weeks, it's going to start making those for you again. And you're going to start recognizing how great you're sleeping and that you're not as stressed. Yeah. And yeah. you are experiencing joy with your kids or joy with your partner or joy with your dog that had been numb to you before. Yeah, the key, mindfulness and appreciation. Yeah, slow Angry. down long enough just to... Exactly. It is. And, and and we don't live in a society that promotes savoring, even in it, in our eating, in everything that we do. It does not promote us to slow down and pay attention to what we're doing, uh, kind of like shovel it all in and keep moving kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. actually an annoying feature of the brain. Yeah. It is how we're wired and and we're also wired for something uh they call them ants automatic negative thoughts mm. and if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective when we lived in caves or even before caves you needed to be worried a lot because yes. people were really trying to kill you and animals we're really trying. I was going to say, look, you know, dinosaurs and all the rest of it, and 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 prehistoric animals, and you name it. We're, you know, we existed alongside those and all that. 
sort of thing and, and saber-toothed tigers and blah, blah, and all the rest of it. Yeah. Woolly it was mammoths. dangerous. It so was. The, the people who survived were the ones who were aware that there's danger around all the time. Sadly, that does not serve us anymore. No. And and in fact, there was uh, studies on that were saying, well, they, you know, uh, toddling along, doing their thing perfectly fine. Then they respond to the saber-toothed tiger chasing them. Then they uh, either get eaten, in which case all stress is removed, <laughs> or they get themselves out of the situation uh, and they get to relax again for a moment. It, it, we, whereas we're just in this constant state of alert that is uh, as if as there's always a saber-toothed tiger and there isn't. Yeah, so we're not getting the down. Some people think that has to do with our dopamine overload because there's so much in our society that is creating these gigantic artificial dopamine hits. And so our yes. brains are on this giant seesaw that's going up and down. You know, my big dopamine hit, woo, not good. I'm going to make it anxiety ridden. Oh, not good. Let me add the dopamine back in. So yeah. we're in a pretty icky seesaw. And for sure. One of the annoying features of our brains, besides the automatic negative thoughts, is that once something good happens, we get used to it. Mm. And then it's not a big deal anymore. And I took it. I wish I could remember her name. Her podcast is The Happiness Lab. And she works out of Oh, yes. Yes. Love her, love her work. It's yes. I, I should be able to say her name as well. Unfortunately, can't. She's Fabulous. She actually offers her happiness course free. You can take yeah. it online through Coursera. It's fabulous. And she explains that she's the in the course, she has her students there taking it. And she was saying how when you got into Yale, you thought it was the best day of your life. Right? Here you are two yeah. years later, you're like, Yale. Another exam. Oh, yeah, that whole stick. Yeah. Right? And yeah. on the opposite side of that, for the people who didn't get in, they probably thought it was the worst day of their life and they'd never yeah. recover. When in fact, they're probably at some perfectly fine university having a perfectly fine life, not being sad at all. So exactly. she she calls these the annoying features of the brain. And one way to combat those is through gratitude. And when you do a regular gratitude practice, you change from the ants to your brain starts looking for the good things. Yes. And then once you see the good things, you savor them. This is why it's important for the people around you that you know you stop and think about how important they are to you you got to remind yourself yes absolutely i'm yeah. coming up to 15 years with my husband and i remind myself every day how much i love him yes even if i'm so mad at him i want to boil him in oil i still remind myself of that and i savor yeah. our relationship and that's what keeps it special Oh, it, you're you're a hundred percent right, and it's actually it's uh, on, uh came to mind um, similarly to the the happiness lab. Um, one of my teachers, uh, Venerable Rabina Corton, uh, Tibetan Buddhist, Western Tibetan Buddhist nun, based in Santa Fe at the moment, though an Aussie, <laughs> Aussie girl. She used came from uh, 
Melbourne um, now in her late 70s. And her uh, metaphor for uh, not just how, how the brain functions, but also how our, um, our psyche, uh, our inordinate, uh, innate um, psyche and how it works is that, yeah, we, we, we have uh, a fundamental uh, kind of dissatisfaction. Uh, so we could be eating our chocolate cake. So we've been anticipating the chocolate cake. We're, we're, so so we're focused on the chocolate cake. Everything's focused on having the chocolate cake. We get the chocolate cake. We're all excited about the chocolate cake. We have the chocolate cake on the spoon or the fork, whatever works for you. Uh, and we, we get that first piece of cake in and we're enjoying it as we're eating it. But as we're enjoying eating it, we're also on the other uh, side of the enjoyment, yearning for the next forkful and not even taking a moment to savour what's <laughs> uh, already in our mouth because we're reaching for the next forkful. And she said that is that is, uh, uh, that is the illusion or uh, one fundamental level of uh, consciousness that uh, is at the root of our suffering that uh, mm -hmm. is the key to be mindful of and work with. And uh, it does come, as you said, from the mindfulness and the appreciation and the slowing down and realizing that, uh, yeah, we're, we're often going 100 miles an hour, constantly in search mode. Yeah, and it is in search for, it's either uh, all living beings either want to feel good, move away from pain, and move towards what feels good and so then it is understanding what actually feels good isn't the thing but our state of being yes yes yeah, yeah definitely easier said than done at times of course because we get caught up in the in in the doing you know, yes which is also part of being human you know but then it circles back to, well, that's why we're not fundamentally. And I love in your, uh, when I was reading on your website that, yeah, we're not broken. We're not fundamentally anything bad. Yeah. Which is, yeah. I don't care if you're waking up at 7 a.m. and having your first vodka and orange juice. You are not broken. Yeah. You are your body is working as designed and you're not alone. What yeah. I found so beautiful in my journey and so helpful is how many people were exactly like me. Yep. We call it that I would be considered a gray area drinker or I would have been considered, you know, somewhere midway in the alcohol use disorder spectrum. And I wasn't alone. I, I can't tell you how many people, and now with my coaching, hundreds of people I have met who are on the same journey. Yes. So it feels scary and it, and you have to get a little bit vulnerable to make the change. Like they talk about, you know, how a crab goes from the only way for a crab to grow yeah. to get a new shell. And yeah. it goes shell hunting and it, it has to leave the safety of its existing shell to get to the new one. And that's yeah. that place of vulnerability. And you need yeah. that to grow. Yes. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. And so what, 
what uh, has helped you and what has helped your clients to find that courage to be vulnerable and get out of their shell and move to the other? What is what has worked for you and what do you see works for your clients? You just you got to start doing it. And I always recommend that you start in a safe place. Vulnerability isn't something you want to practice on with the person you've never met before on the bus, right? You want to start with someone who's safe. You don't want to start with a friend who has belittled you, or you don't, you know, you may want to start with a professional who's like a coach or a therapist or a doctor that you trust. Not all doctors are the best things in the world. But you got to find someone safe. And you don't have to go all 100% in. You mm. could just dip your toe and you could try something that feels a little vulnerable. And we like to say in coaching that you could start sharing from scars, not wounds. Oh, I love that. Say so that again. That was really important. Share from a place of scars, not wounds, as you're learning to build trust. Because once, so once you and I get to know each other and we trust each other and I've shared some things that make me a little uncomfortable to share, but I'm not going to die if they show up, you know, on the internet tomorrow, not a big deal. Or if somebody finds out about it, not a big deal, but this is how we gain trust. Yeah, And when I find out that I can share with you, then I might start sharing from the place of wounds. And that's when I can start healing. Now, obviously, when clients come to me, we build that trust very quickly. Yes. And so if you can find it, but not every coach and every therapist out there is trustworthy. And so you need to check it out. And then the other thing is, there's no such thing as failure. Actually, the only failure is just not showing up to try again. Because you're not going to be great at it when you first try. We all think, I'm going to go out and do that as soon as I get the courage and the confidence. Well, you don't have the confidence until you've learned how to do it. Very true. So you got to get out there and be wobbly. You know, you're learning how to ride your bike. It's a little wobbly. So you go with your dad or your mom or someone you trust that holds the bike upright for you or with your training wheels, whatever you need to do. And at some point, you know, you take those training wheels off and you're still working with someone you trust. And eventually you fly, fly free. And yeah, you fall down and hurt yourself sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. It happens. But it's okay. Yeah, it's all okay. Yeah. One thing that I'm really curious about, because um, you did sort of mention it earlier, obviously the I'm seeing for me without sort of, I haven't delved into AA uh, fully uh, at all, really, to, to know its fundamental, you know, uh, ideas and beliefs and how they do things, except to sort of see it in movies and see it discussed uh in in pop culture and 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 it does feel quite different in that it's having it seems to be quite rooted in acknowledging acknowledging failings acknowledging that you've done something wrong or that you are wrong in some way and asking forgiveness and all this sort of stuff um 
Well, I guess I'm wondering, it does it does feel or look to be that it's very different to your approach. How, uh, how can people maybe who might be in AA navigate that in a different way, maybe that might be uh, more positive, possibly? It, I, I don't have a beef with the way that anybody does their thing, first and foremost. Yeah. If AA works for you, by all means, go out yeah. and do it. It was started in 1934, mm -hmm. and they, besides the change of making it instead of God, it's your higher power, they're sticking okay. to their formula, their 12 steps. And some of those yeah. 12 steps are absolutely beautiful. And the one thing that AA has so dead on right is community. Once again, yes. it's got to be a good community. I'm sure not all AA communities, you know, it's a volunteer organization. It's They're not yeah. all going to be equal. Some are going to be safe and some are going to be not safe, just like with coaching, doctors, anything mm -hmm. else. AA is a willpower-based group. Yes. You're using willpower. And in AA, if you, they don't have data points, they have relapses. And when you relapse, you go back to day one. Right. And I'm saying if you have got three months of not drinking and then you have a data point, I don't think you need to go back to day one. I think you need to learn a lesson. And now you've got three months alcohol free and one lesson. Yes. There's a lot more hope in that, in my opinion. There is. And the... The key, another big key to this is compassion. Mm. And we think that shame is doing something. We think that when we shame ourselves for drinking, it's going to keep us from drinking again. And what I tell people is, if that worked, none of us would be here. I'll like, you know, have 40 yeah. people on a call or something in a big group program and say, well, yeah, if shame worked, who would be here? Nobody. It doesn't work. Shame is just your ego's way of pretending like it's doing something, but it's not actually taking accountability. You're just saying, you know, what did you do to stop drinking? Well, I shamed myself. Exactly. I'm saying, Take accountability, do something, learn something. Look at your day, you know, look at the day that you drank. What what went on? Were you stressed? Were you bored? Were you angry? If you don't mm. know because you're not in touch with your emotions, that could be the problem. Are you in grief that you need to numb? We use alcohol to solve problems. And we keep using it because of the dopamine. And it doesn't solve the problems and we lose our skill set. And some of us never had it. I remember yeah. being in therapy in my 20s and my therapist asking me how I felt. And I was like, uh, uh, happy, sad, nothing, numb, depressed, right? I didn't know how I felt. Yeah. And the English language is, is proven to be quite lacking in uh the amount of descriptive emotive uh, terms. So we, even if even if we had a level of awareness, we we are limited in our ability to name it 
right? We are not like Eskimos describing ice. Yeah, which I guess they have four million words for the, you know, so absolutely the nuance of ice. Yeah, so I think that, um, yeah, AA is a shame-based program, Mm. and it works for some people. I think their success rate is anywhere between like thirteen and thirty-three percent. So my invitation for people is, if it isn't working for you, or in my case. I was never going to go to an AA meeting because as a woman of a certain age who took a long time to walk into her power, there was no way I was getting in front of a room of people and announcing I was powerless because I fundamentally did not believe that was true. I am not powerless against alcohol and nobody out there is powerless against alcohol and it is not a death sentence. You're not going to spend the rest your life having to avoid the people and things that you love i can be around people drinking i could care less i don't want to i don't want to stick a hot poker in my eye and i don't want to drink alcohol and it takes a while i'm not saying that this is just like boom overnight you do one coaching session with a some genius alcohol freedom coach and you're there it's that's not true it's a journey but you will get there and you will find your joy. You just got to yes. keep showing up. I love that. Thank you so much for that. Well, if we're going to wrap things up on this note of hope and optimism. Uh, how can people contact you and <clears throat> how can they work with you? Do you work with people overseas as well as uh, locally to you? And where do they reach out? Well, they can find me at coachingwithlily.com. I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes. The show notes will have it. Work with everyone everywhere. It just with the power of Zoom, just like we're talking right now. And what I offer is, uh, I call it a strategy session. It's complimentary and people can make an appointment right online. And we get together and we talk about where you are and strategize where you'd like to be. And if I can help you, I will offer my services. And if I can't help you, if it's not a fit, then I will help you find the program. There's lots of programs out there. I love um, This Naked Mind programs. I'm a certified This Naked Mind coach. And I'm biased because that's what helped me find my freedom. So with a great deal of bias because it worked for me i love this naked mind they have some inexpensive programs and they have a free alcohol experiment so look them up and we'll i'll just help you find something that works for you yeah. oh that is fabulous thank you That's so much Lily, for for joining us today and giving hope to those out there listening that might well be reaching for that extra source of what they think is a confidence boost or joy giver um and for them to have a moment to to think and consider and ponder that there might be a different way of showing up in the world for themselves and for others so thank you absolutely oh thank you for having me this has been so lovely thank you listeners take care and stay blessed goodbye 